Today on the Almond Journey podcast. We spray one time less and the grades are better in the mating disruption fields. And it works, it really does. It definitely covers the cost. Kent Stendrup joins the show to talk about mating disruption in naval orange worm, water, and so much more. Welcome to the Almond Journey podcast, brought to you by the Almond Board of California. On this show, we discover how growers, handlers, and other stakeholders are making things work in their operations to drive the almond industry forward. I'm your host, Tim Hamrich, and I'm traveling up and down the valley, virtually, of course, to feature the leaders who are finding innovative ways to improve their operations, connect with their communities, and advance the almond industry. Today, we head down south all the way to Bakersfield, but we don't stop there. We go a bit further south and east to the southernmost city in the San Joaquin Valley, Arvin, California. It's there we'll visit with third-generation farmer Kent Stendrup, whose grandfather immigrated to Arvin from Denmark in 1927. So I'm the third-generation farmer. I work together with my father and my cousin Andy. And then we have our employees. Half of the ranch is in trees and vines, and the other half is in row crops, meaning tomatoes, carrots, potatoes, sweet potatoes, and then processing onions. In 2006, we planted our first almonds. Um, So we haven't been in in the almond industry for a long time, though we've been very involved in it and um, have now scaled up to almonds are our number one revenue stream. Whereas before it was wine grapes and cotton. Kent says he'd been sort of lobbying his family business partners for years to consider maybe planting some almonds. But at the time, before 2006, they were concerned that too many acres of almonds had already been planted and demand wouldn't be able to keep up. He feels grateful, though, that they finally made the decision to plant what is now their number one crop. He also feels grateful that all those years ago, his grandfather bought land that had something incredibly valuable with it, good water. I am daily grateful that my grandfather and his twin brother, when they bought that first piece of ground, it was right next to what we call the East Side Canal, which is part of the Carindela Water Storage District. It's gravity flow water, not pumped at all. It's a dirt canal. And um, that has some historic water rights that are very important to us. It increases the land value. The Kern River begins at Mount Whitney on the west side of Mount Whitney. If it doesn't snow enough, we don't get our full allotment, obviously, on an annual basis. So we have that. We're part of the state water project also. And then we have our our groundwater, which is, you know, dropping on a daily basis. Um, there are a lot of projects in this area. The two water districts that we're in, Arvin Edison and Kern Delta, both have acres and acres of projects. Each project, when I say project, is 160 acres of recharge ponds. And uh, when they have excess water, they'll recharge the aquifer with these 160 acre blocks. And that's been a sustainable effort by these water districts for a long time now. They literally will buy up agricultural ground, take it out of ag production and put it into recharge ponds. Now, despite being fortunate to have a better water situation than some other growers, drought years were still the first to come to Kent's mind when I asked him about the toughest years he'd had farming. I asked how he was able to adjust during those tough times. 
we did have to make decisions on the ranch. What was that high priority of water and almonds were up there, but we were still had other other crops to grow that we were committed to growing because we had a contract to grow, whether it was potatoes or onions or tomatoes. So you make those decisions and maybe we cut back the almonds a bit and then you pay for it in you know, next year's crop. And uh, watching those that had even less of a supply of water, how they got through the drought, was pretty impressive. Some of them went to a drought protocol where um, they knew they only had one foot of water and um, some of them took the nuts off the trees and then um, started watering for next year. And some of those orchards recovered and some of the older orchards were pushed out at that point. Now we're going to hear more from Kent on the challenges he's experienced and the lessons he's learned along the way, both as a grower and as a leader on the board of directors for the Almond Board. But first, to our featured topic for today's episode and another challenge many almond growers are dealing with, navel orange worm. Kent's had a lot of success incorporating mating disruption into his integrated pest management program, and his experiences are definitely worth sharing. I can't remember the year. I need Mel Machado to remind me what year it was. There's a huge problem with navel orange worm throughout the state, particularly in the southern part of the state. And then as you go farther north, it kind of slacks off. But that's my observation, or that's my understanding. That instance, four crop years ago, counting 2021, it was a distinct problem from out in the orchard. It had problems at the hullers because of the, uh, the amount of damage and then the handlers with all of their equipment as far as getting rid of the additional navel orange worm damage. So if you're not familiar with it, it's a moth that lays its eggs in the hull that has developed prior to harvest. The resulting worm eats the almond. If it damages the almond all the way and the almond just dries up and the nut itself blows away, then you're okay. You know, you lose the value of the almond, but it doesn't hurt anything on the huller side or the handler side. It can get gummy, it can get powdery, it just hurts the um, the systems. It was to the extent, Tim, that we knew that something had to be done. Bob Curtis, historically the chief scientific officer at the um, Almond Board had been working on it. As a matter of fact, he began working on it 40 years ago when he was at UC Davis working on his um, on his master's. As he left, he'd done so much monumental work as far as getting us to do the mummy shake, getting rid of the overwintering nuts that the dormant worms are in and such. And then now we're moving on. And then, you know, having lost numerous pesticides, there is no new development of new pesticides, whether it be softer chemistry or not, towards naval orange worm, even though it's our number one pest here in the valley. So let's, we, let's come up with some other techniques. And then one of them is mating disruption, which is a pheromone that's sprayed throughout the orchard, confuses the male so he can't find the female. She's only viable for a day or two. If he can't find her during the flight periods that they have, they're not out flying 24 hours a day. They're only flying for two to six hours during an evening. If they can confuse him, can't find her, then, you know, he lose that generation. It's a really good technique as far as I'm concerned. So since Bob Curtis's retirement, Dr. Josette Lewis, I call her a good friend of mine. I'm impressed by Dr. Lewis. Her initiatives now for what we're going to be working on in the near future make all work at the Almond Board very exciting. Um, SIT, we call it sterile insect technology for naval orange worm and that type of thing. We're looking into some different techniques 
that will greatly reduce our, our naval orange worm, most importantly, and also our use of pesticides. So, and that's one of the goals, you know, the Almond Board has four goals, and that's one of them to adopt more environmentally friendly pest management systems. Hey, can you talk a little bit about specifically what the work that's been done on your operation for this uh, mating disruption? Brad Higby gave a presentation up at the Tulare County Fairgrounds one day. That was my first experience, and it must have been six years ago. And um, he was working with Wonderful at that time. And this was all new to me, but it made perfect sense. Uh, mating disruption, it works, it really does. They had adopted it to a huge extent. We decided to get on board and ended up, the people that we chose to go with Semios, which we've continued to be with today, they have the automated systems and the trap monitoring. My experience, Tim, I'm not gonna throw a lot of data out at you, but I know that in the field, we don't have 100% adoption. And I really don't know why I haven't done it all. But the experience is we spray one time less and the grades are better in the mating disruption fields. And it works, it really does. So it definitely covers the cost. Yeah, that's that's pretty compelling. And then for that, I understand, did you work with NRCS on, on some of that? Yeah, thank you for reminding me of that. So I was with uh, Richard Waycott and Julie Adams. The Almond Board annually goes to Washington, D.C. And I went as a board member we were in NRCS and they said, is there anything we can do for you? I said, yeah, well, why don't you adopt a mating disruption program? And I'd already thought that this is perfect. This is right up their alley. They didn't have an idea of this technique at that point, six years ago. So we helped them get educated. I used um, our local Kern County entomologist and uh, UCCE entomologist, Dave Haviland. He did a lot of the heavy lifting, showing them what the insect was, and then and we proved to them the number, you know, if we spray one less time, that's less carbon dioxide released, you know, into the atmosphere. We're putting on fewer pesticides, and we're also gaining revenue on the other side. So we brought that to their attention, and um, they worked well with us. This is one time when the government says, what can we do for you? I'm here to help you. They did. They really did. And so we were able to get the grant money. I applied for it every three years to help us maintain it. It doesn't pay 100% of it, but it really helps. That's fantastic. In that research, is it, is it ongoing research or is it published somewhere where obviously we're not going to talk about the data, as you said, but uh, where people could go better understand for themselves how they might be able to implement it? I'm not aware of any comparisons that have been done. The Almond Board hasn't said, let's find out what's better, whose company is better. They have to stay out of it. I dropped the name of the company that we utilize and I, you know, I'm proud of our work with them. It works, it really does. How's that? It's one of the arrows that we can use to help lessen the problems with naval orange worm. I was on a forum the other day with um, Secretary Karen Ross let it off and this is with the CDFA and they had a speaker from, from the state of Washington on their codling moth. The codling moth in Washington and the apples is their number one pest. They're very similar. They have a, an apple that the, it overwinters in. We have a nut that it overwinters in. Same type of thing. Mating disruption, the sterile insect technology has, has really worked for them up in the apple industry. So whether we emulate that 
where we come up with a different uh, system. I'm just excited about that. And Joseph's going to get us there. I'm really sure of that. Well, as you were starting off in 2006 planting almonds, you know, what took the most learning curve to go from the crops you were already growing into starting in almonds? It was all of a sudden growing almonds. We've had grapes before, okay, and we still had grapes. Somewhat the same, though you're dealing with a a different animal where you rely on a good bloom, you rely on good bees, you rely on good weather all the way through the end. Um, We're blessed here. We're in this almond belt that stretches from Arvin to Chico, what, 400 miles of it. Uh, we're blessed because it doesn't rain during that time, so to speak, when we have those those almonds laying on the ground. Those challenges as far as weather, and that's why we can grow here in, here in the San Joaquin Valley, the Central Valley, grow a good product like that. At that point, either from the almond board or elsewhere, kind of what support did you receive to help you get started in the business? I was amazed at the resources, whether it's the Cooperative Extension Division, as far as the resources they had, so you can go online, the Almond Board of California and their resources, as far as, you know, variety selection, let's start with a rootstock selection, type of soil to put is best, irrigation systems. In 2006, a lot of work had been done. And a lot of that work had been done by the Almond Board of California through and together with the University of California system. If you have nematodes, plant this rootstock and you want to have to fumigate type of thing. You know, the Nemegard rootstock. And as far as varieties, well, you know, you need to have a pollinator. That was prior to uh, self-pollinating. There were no self-pollinators in 2006, so that was out of the equation. So you develop what system are you going to plant? Half non-Pharrell and half Monterey. How wide are the roads? Well, here's some data on that. Then I mentioned irrigation systems. There was a lot of good work done on irrigation systems. Do you want to spray or do you want double line drip? Or are you going to flood irrigate? The local irrigation company, they'll sell you anything you want or, or what they want to sell you also. But I had this, these resources to help me through that. And uh, there weren't too many almonds in the Arvin, Arvin area at that point. We farm on Bear Mountain Boulevard, and we were the first almond orchard on Bear Mountain Boulevard in 2006. And now there's many, many miles of almonds on Bear Mountain Boulevard, State Route 223. Plenty of resources to get started. Anybody could actually know nothing about almonds and get started quickly. Is there anything that, uh, you know, years down the road you thought, oh, I wish I would have known that when I started? Well, we've learned a lot about tree nutrition. You can easily over-fertilize at the wrong time of year and then screw yourself up for next year. Um, you can under-fertilize and then and do the same. There's a happy medium in there as far as the timing of your, let's just say the nitrogen applications. That's very important. Um, there's some people that are really good at it. And then there are some people that just simply throw the kitchen sink at it and they, they have their fights of issues there. You over-fertilize, you you allow yourself more susceptible to canopy disease. And who needs that? You don't need that because that could actually affect you for years to come. We were new to that. So one year after the crop, I put on this huge load of fertilizer and the trees grew, had this outstanding growth spurt. And what they ended up having, if you looked at them the next year, they had this growth spurt of a foot or maybe 18 inches that had actually no fruiting spurs on it. 
So lesson learned. I can still show you those trees today and show you where the blank spot is that are never any nuts on it. Uh, that was a lesson learned. The trees are still there, still a good reminder. As you think about the decade to come, what changes do you see coming to the industry? If I asked you to pretend to have a crystal ball here for a second, you know, what changes do you see coming to the future of the industry? Well, changes are concerns. Um, concerns are pesticides and our use of pesticides. Um, water is probably foremost. Labor, almonds are not labor intensive. Almonds are profitable still to this day. So we will still be able to get labor for almonds. So that's probably not the biggest issue. Global demand. I mean, 80% of our almonds are being shipped overseas. We need to continually increase the demand. You know, we've got the supply. We know we sure as hell know how to make the supply, Tim. Um, we're proving that, you know, not too long ago, we, we cracked 2 billion pounds. And now we're at 3 billion pounds today. Um, we need to continue to work on that. And sometimes you have those barriers, whether it's a Chinese tariff or it's a, a port shut down in all ports of India or something like that, or even here at a, a port closer to home. The port of Oakland is very important to us. The almond industry ships a lot of almonds out of there. So we have to have to be cognizant of that. If somebody else in the industry were to come up to you and say, well, I probably should get more involved in, in almond board stuff, but where do I start? Is there any advice you can give people for getting started and taking more of an active role with this group that they are already a part of? Yes, of course. Always looking for volunteers. So we have, you're welcome to attend any almond board meeting, whether it's uh, one of the committee meetings, a task force meeting, or a board meeting. We also have something called the Almond Leadership Program. And Rebecca Bailey and Jenny Nikolai, they run that on an annual basis. Obviously, with the COVID, it's been kind of morphed into a two-year program for this last class. And a class of, what, 10 to 15 to 20 people throughout the industry, not just growers, but people associated with almonds. I'm just a big advocate of the Almond Leadership Program. And now what we're finding is we have um, young Devin Clark. He went through the program years ago, and now he's the chair of the um, Strategic Ag Initiatives Committee. So um, that's how you get involved. You start at one spot and then move forward with it. Well, thank you so much to Kent Stendrup for his continued leadership and for taking the time to be on the podcast today. I hope you found his experiences both insightful and that you follow his example of taking a more active role in this industry. I want to go back to his experience with Naval Orange Worm for today's ABC update. The integrated approach to managing Naval Orange Worm used by Kent and many others is a direct result of decades of research funded and supported by the Almond Board. Joining me today for our ABC update is Drew Walter, who is the Pest Management Senior Specialist at the Almond Board. Drew says this research is not only being applied to naval orange worm, but to other pests as well. So that dates back to 1973, where the Almond Board has been funding naval orange worm research and has made a great progress in terms of determining various production practices that growers can implement for naval orange worm. Now, this isn't just IPM practices that include mating disruption, but also cultural practices such as winter sanitation, which goes a long, long way. This doesn't just pertain to naval orange room. And I think that's a broader topic that should be discussed in the future is that winter sanitation isn't just for naval orange room. We're really looking at 
inoculum for hole rot, bacterial blast, those mummies staying in the orchard act as an inoculum for many, many other pathogens. So solving that issue isn't just for navel orangeworm, but definitely in terms of navel orangeworm and the production and research that has been happening has been longstanding at the Almond Board. Now, if you're listening to this and you're looking for more information about effective pest monitoring, trapping, and mating disruption, you're in luck. The Almond Board is working with UC Cooperative Extension Farm Advisor David Havlin to create two brand new videos that will be coming out very soon on these topics. So the two videos that we're really going to cover is video one is monitoring and trapping. So that's a good way to kind of get an idea of what's happening in your orchard. What kind of pressure are you seeing from the beginning of the season up until that third flight and when you really need to act at hull split as well. We're going to cover egg traps, pheromone traps that's going to include both the wing and box traps, PPO lures. So the idea there is that it's a way to monitor orchards that do have mating disruption in them. We'll also cover Peterson traps. And I think the biggest point here is that how do you use that trap information? So we're not just going to cover the monitoring and trapping tips and the different products that are out there, but the idea is really, okay, I have this information. I've gathered this information in terms of egg trapping. Now, what do I do with it? So that will be the objective of video one. Video two is purely on mating disruption. Again, this is just to give a non-biased view into what products are out there in the industry. So we're gonna cover anywhere from the review of static release systems to variable release systems. And I think more importantly to growers is which ones offer installation through the company or grower installation. A lot of folks don't have the time to go out there and tinker with having to hang up, um, uh, put in new batteries or hang up new units. So I think that's a valuable piece, but also just give you the pros and cons of each of them. Again, looking at static release and variable release systems. Those videos are expected to come out in June of 2021. So keep an eye out for them in the coming months on almonds.com and by following the California Almonds YouTube page. Another free resource available to you by the Almond Board are some useful pest ID cards. And Drew says this tool goes far beyond just simply insect identification. This isn't just going to cover pests. It's also going to cover irrigation tips. So again, this is going to look at soil triangle, root zone, water holding capacity, and multiple irrigation calculations. Spray drift is also something that's covered in that handbook. And those are application quick tips. But most importantly here, we are gonna have ID tools for the pests that are most common in orchard production systems, almond production systems, where we're gonna look at the pests themselves, ID tips, natural enemies that are out there for each of these guys. So again, something like mites or navel orangeworm, you may be able to find natural enemies out there where with mites specifically, there's a success story there in terms of having six spotted thrips being able to control mites. Um, in addition, we're also going to cover monitoring and trapping tips. Same thing with kind of what we're covering in the videos and then treatment thresholds for the ones that we do have treatment thresholds or action thresholds developed for. For these specific pest ID cards, they are free. So if you would like to get a hold of that, please reach out to fieldoutreach at almondboard.com and you will receive a physical copy, a free physical copy of this resource. 
That email address, once again, is fieldoutreach at almondboard.com for those pest ID cards. And make sure you're keeping an eye out for those videos of unbiased reviews of trapping, monitoring, and mating disruption technology. Thanks so much to Drew Walter for providing today's ABC update. We believe everyone in the almond industry has a story of their own of how they're making things work on their farms or in their jobs. Hearing the voices of these industry leaders might spark a connection or an idea that you can use in your own journey. That's why we want to feature these stories of innovation, resilience, and community on this podcast. I hope you'll come along for the ride by subscribing to the show on your podcast platform of choice. And please pass it along to others in the industry so we can all share in this almond journey together. Together.